With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and I'm joined by our big old pal, the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of one, one of them all, BFT. How are you doing tonight, man? And you forgot the sexiest. I'm really upset about that. Yeah, I think next time I'll say uh, b- are the biggest, the wettest, the sexiest. I'll call you. I'll call you Big Wet Sex next time. Wow. Sounds good. I'm all for that. Yeah, I'm all for that. Uh, so like, there's a lot we'll talk about in this game. Like so many things, you know, we'll talk about Jacob Martin's pass rushing ability, Houston's you know, uh, passing design of their short game to be able to create a lot of easy throws for Watson to attack like Patrick Chung with bigger tight ends and, and those sorts of things. The Wolf Fuller deep shot, the Kenny Stills touchdown, Jacob Martin's pass rushing, Romeo Cronell's blitz schemes, zone coverages versus playing man coverage. The Texans secondary is good. You know, this is just a long-winded, boring thesis statement, the type of thing that you had to write in like freshman composition where you have your last sense of the first paragraph with a comma and it lists everything you're about to say and then you go and say it. All this stuff is important and, again, we'll get to all of it, but really, like, uh, the only thing that matters is that Houston Texans finally, and I'm, I'm going to say the F word, are you ready? They finally beat the, <laughs> beat the fucking Patriots. And I can't believe it actually happened. Like this entire decade, they went 0 for 8 against them. They had point differential of negative 120. Um, over the span of seven years, they've lost in every way imaginable, whether it's Brian Hoyer completing 50% of his passes for 146 yards or whatever, and getting sacked six times, or Matt Schaub being unable to throw a touchdown after like a 100-yard Daniel Manning kickoff return and overthrowing Matt Schaub over his head and then watching Barrett Rude cover Shane Vereen on the outside in a one-versus-one matchup, uh, watching the defense have a great performance, only to watch Name Redacted have an even worse performance than the game he had in the previous matchup where they lost 27-0 to to Jacoby Brissett off three days rest. Uh, or week one last year, whenever Sontrell Henderson broke his ankle and they put Martinez Rankin left tackle and Julian Davenport right tackle and completely ruined both their <laughs> both their prospects with the Houston Texans by making that decision. Landon Watson gets sacked a lot and a muff punt, you know, making that game closer than that game actually was. We've seen them lose you know, just about every way imaginable. They were all, oh, we even had a, a, a playoff shootout or a, a shootout for the two and 10 Texans with Case Keenum against Tom Brady. That was actually kind of fun. And this time they finally did it after all that misery and you know awful and wretchedness. They finally beat the New England Patriots. And you know, for me personally, I think this is like the most fun I've had watching a Texans game since like, I don't know, since they beat the Bears on Monday Night Football 2012. Like every game it feels like with them and every season it just felt so like mundane and it's just so much more the same. It's just so bland whether it's like the the bad quarterback changes or 
that there's injuries in the defense and you know Deshaun Watson has to do everything, but then there's offensive you know weapons who are hurt and the play calling's bad and they're not prepared to score a bunch of points and every year just felt like a like a different version of the exact same thing and like for this to finally happen, you know I it just it was just it was spectacular it was beautiful and I really don't even know if it means that much going forward for like the playoffs or you know Super Bowl prospects or anything like that but I don't really care. And, like, I don't really care if this game means anything at all going forward. And even, like, all the analysis and stuff we're about to do, I don't really care all that much about. I just care that they finally beat the stupid uh, Patriots team and, like, something finally different finally happens to the same thing happening over and over and over and over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, because it was, it, it was you know, the, the one that always going to stick out to me is the Barrett Root game because it was just such an obvious mismatch from the very beginning. And, and, and it was like, you know, how are we going to compensate for that? I, you know, it just jumped out at you on paper. And they did it to the, the first matchup too, with Hernandez, where you have Daryl Sharpton covering Aaron Hernandez over and over again. And you have Brady James covering Aaron Hernandez over and over uh, again. You know, it was just painful to watch. And, and they almost did it yesterday. I mean, they almost did the same thing using white. Uh, to to do a lot of that dirty work. I mean, White scored a touchdown like without a Texan within ten yards of him. Mm-hmm. So they almost pulled it off again yesterday. So it's it was kind of like it was always kind of surreal. Like it's just how we're going to lose. Like you know, is it going to be a beatdown? Is it going to be, you know, you know, are we just going to ache that blitz all game and, and get close and tease ourselves and thinking that we're going to do something good? But it, it worked out yesterday. And the funny thing is, is that was a Bolden like missed tip on that. Yeah, um, onside kick that you know ultimately was kind of the difference in it. You know, it was the final thing. The Patriots are in it all the way. I don't care what anybody says; they were in that game all the way. It was a one-score game where they had a chance to pull it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I mean, even I never felt like they were going to win, even when they were up by you know eighteen or whatever. I'm like, let's just wait until there's. Well, that's not true, actually. Whenever they went up twenty-one to three, I was like, they're going to win this game, and uh, and they just kind of hang around waiting for it to happen. But you, you know, you're right. It was it was closer, and like New England never gave up. They kept playing, and I guess the the one concern, you know, which we'll get to, I guess more elaborately, is like it does seem like New England kind of figured out what to do around like halfway mark of the third quarter to attack the defense. But really, the biggest difference between this game and those you know other eight previous losses in this decade, and I'm so glad this decade's falling and come to an end. I'm so tired <laughs> of it. Um, but. Bradley Roby has the interception, and Houston has had interceptions and turnovers and short fields like that early in the game against New England, but the difference between this game and previous ones was that they actually scored a touchdown this time. Uh, Keneal Harry tried to run like some dig, and Roby was all over it and got inside on his hip, picked it off, took the ball to like the six-yard line, actually got a penalty for taking off his helmet, which beat him back to the, 21st, to the 21-yard line, which kind of helped them out, and Houston immediately went, run, <laughs> run. And I believe they're uh, in thir- third and six, or they're, I believe they're in third and seven. And then Duke Johnson is against Cal Van Noy. And the route was really cool that he ran because he it looked like he was selling the flat route and Van Noy bit on it. And whenever he got his head on the outside of him, he cut up field and was completely wide open then 7-3. And now the game is in, is already immediately entirely different than the other eight previous matchups where you know, typically it ends with Deshaun Watson taking a sack on third and seven. And then they kick a field goal and it's 3-3. And then the game's entirely different. But with that lead, you know, um, like it, it was just, just, it started off pretty quickly different for them all, than all the other games that these two teams have played against each other. Yeah. And I don't know where we went ahead with, you know, kind of talking about what, what happened with this game. But 
Um, I do agree with that route. And it was, uh, it was clear that was the route and that was the primary route because of the way that Watson rolled out to, to you know, Watson's rollout is what helped create Johnson yeah. get even more open on that play. Otherwise that's going to be a really hard throw to make, but Watson was rolling right to make that play. And, uh, it's kind of like the trick that, you know, you kind of used in Madden when you know, you're going to throw an out and you run out, you sprint out to the side to make that out easier to run. So mm-hmm. that sort of kind of, it, it reminded me of when I was watching that play. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so I guess now we'll get into being, you know, analysis football man or uh, analysis football man, depending on 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 who you are, what you want to do. Uh, the Texans start off the game really trying to establish the run. It didn't work at all this game, like oh all God. the other games. So on first down, Carlos Hive had seven carries for eight yards. Duke Johnson had eight carries for thirty-five yards. Uh, Deshaun Watson had two carries for negative two yards, which comes out to seventeen for forty-one. The first two Texans drive they had, they both ended in punts, and you see Carlos Hyde for two yards, Carlos Hyde for two yards, uh, third down incompletion or third down sack. And they punted twice, and they fell down 3-0 three, three because of it. So, the I don't know, like, they keep doing it. They keep doing it, and they kept doing it again already. And then the interception led to the touchdown that changed things. But the drive where that kind of changed was the, the third drive, and the third drive, again, they established the run. But the difference was that they ran a lot of like cool, quick passes, uh, and they schemed guys open really well. There's a really great like quick out route that Jordan Aikens ran against uh, Patrick Chung, where he was able to stay in bounds and not get tackled and take off upfield. Um, Darren Fells had an Aikens ran a cool route combo where Aikens runs a post up the field, and then uh, Fellas kind of sits like right at the first down marker, is able to you know go past the marker pretty easily. DeAndre Hopkins beats Stephen Gilmore one versus one on a quick slant route that leads to another first down. And then the touchdown came out of a, a play action pass out of a full house backfield where uh, where you have Darren Fellows, you know, getting open and kind of Jordan Aikens blocking up field for him as well, too. And so that drive was really great where it's like that's what the offense, if you're going to be, you know, quick passing and efficient, should look like. But the run doesn't set up those passes. And the best part of that drive was their first throw on first down. Watson breaks the sack from John Simon. I uh, was able to stay upright. And then you see the Patriots defender yelling at the ref to call him down uh, as he's in the grasp. He's able to escape through the ball of bounce. But the run doesn't establish the pass. The pass establishes the run. And by throwing all those quick passes, you know, you get uh, lighter boxes and, and that sort of thing. I think the most frustrating thing about the run game, though, and the first down stuff is that, like, New England has eight, nine, eight or nine defenders in the box. Uh, they have one safety deep. They are, have eight guys there. Uh, and also, like with the way the, the wide receivers are lined up tight, like everything is right around the line of scrimmage. And the Texans don't have the offensive line that can blo- run block well enough to be able to you know, move the line of scrimmage and win in these situations. Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde aren't good enough to win these situations, and they don't really use Deshaun Watson like a runner, um, like you know Baltimore uses Lamar Jackson by any means. So they don't really skew the numbers advantage towards them uh, in, in a typical way. It's more atypical with those, you know, stupid. Zone option passes don't work at any more at all anymore at all either. Yeah. So again, not knowing where exactly we want to head with this, let's go. Um, let, let's talk about Carlos Hyde and let's get that just trash out of the way quickly. Um, the first eight first downs the Houston Texans had were all runs up the middle, seven by Carlos Hyde and one by Duke Johnson. Mm-hmm. That was one of the most ridiculous displays I've ever seen. I mean, talk about staying in your habit. And and it took it, it took you know the first twenty five minutes for for Bill O'Brien to figure out you know what maybe not doing that's a good idea. <laughs> and it, it, it's just ridiculous. We were constantly 
that's eight first downs. And I think her average start on second down after that was second and eight. That's not, that's, that's not staying ahead of the clock. That's not being efficient and effective. Again, why are you giving the ball to, to the, you know, six best, excuse me, six best guy on your offense and not letting the best guy on your offense do things yeah. and just to break pattern. Right. And so we were constantly behind the eight ball uh, starting off the game because of the horrendous play calling again. Now, a friend of mine sent me a text earlier today and he's like, hey, you know, hey, Bill O'Brien, he, he, he actually adjusted. And it's like, OK, sure, I can give you that. Bill O'Brien did adjust. You know, he quit running the ball up the middle. But who's going to keep running the ball? I mean, any coach who's like actually alive and has a heartbeat is going to see, hmm, maybe that's not working. I mean, even Homer Simpson as a football head coach <laughs> would figure that one out. So, look, this, this isn't rocket science. So the question is, is, does he come back out next week and do the same dadgum thing? That's that's the part where he has not learned over the years. And, look, a couple of guys in their mom's basements have been saying, hey, we need to do the de- do things differently for the past three years now, especially with Deshaun Watson. And so now we saw it. We can see how much better the offense is when we're not running the ball up the middle on first down continually. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point. Um, and then, and like, it, it really felt like it kind of flipped somewhat on that third drive where they make it 14 to three. But again, like a lot of those throws came on second and eight, like you mentioned, they came on third and 10. Um, the, or like there were throws like on where maybe Duke Johnson finally got six yards on first down. Uh, the first drive is kind of funny, too, because you have second and four, and then it becomes third and two, but Laramie Tunstall gets called the holding penalty, and then becomes third and, uh, second and 14, and then third and six, and you take a sack, and you're down 3-0 at that point. Um, Deshaun Watson on first down as a passer, 9 for 12, 123 yards, two touchdowns and zero interceptions. He was sacked three times, but he still had five first downs and a quarterback rating of 146.9. DeAndre Hopkins, of course, threw a touchdown first down as well. And, you know, you have to admit, though, all these throws are set up by all the establishment of the run uh, that went into each one of those first down throws. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> Look, even, I, I even, I, for the first time, I, I was shocked. So the yeah, UT Texas Tech game, I, I wanted to bring this up. Tech runs a play where that's a play action that literally has nobody to play to, to run the ball to. It's just the quarterback gets the ball, fakes it to a non-existent running back. Is that a real thing? It's a real thing. And does and it work? Thing, it, it was very effective because the thing is, if you're a linebacker, you're still just reading. You're reading that, that, that quarterback getting the ball in the pistol, faking the handoff. You're reading that <laughs> and you're just trained. This is just, this is just completely nothing more than, you know, um, uh, Pavlovian habits. Yeah. Right? And so once again, we'll just go. And even the announcers are talking about, look, there, there's nobody to give the ball to, but the <laughs> linebackers still fight. So it, again, let's go back to the pass establishes the run. The run does not establish the pass. And even the guys on TV is the first time I've ever heard an announcer say it and get it right. That the, the pass sets up the run you break open the box you allow the running back to do more and and that's what the one thing if, if i could teach bill o'brien one thing it would be that yeah it's just shown the numbers of this is rushing success when you have six guys in the box when you have seven guys in the box when you have eight guys in the box and oh look at the efficiency look at the yards per carry look at uh, how how easy it is to be able to predict your rushing success based off the number of defenders you have in the box as well too so that that whole thing happened. 
The again, like I kind of alluded to it earlier, but I think the biggest key about their passing offense for Houston, because New England does have like an all-time great pass defense statistically right now, and the Texans were able to score four touchdowns against it. Deshaun Watson was 18 of 25 for 234 yards and three touchdowns. But from the line of scrimmage to 10 yards down the field, Watson was 10 of 13 for 110 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Tom Brady in that same part of the field, he was 16 of 27 for 132 yards and one touchdown, one interception. I think that was like really the key for this passing offense was that it was able to be efficient and effective and create first downs, create easy yards, create a lot of easy throws too against a, a team that has like good cornerbacks from you know one through six. I didn't write a game preview last week because I wrote that you know that awful, stupid, miserable, <laughs> wretched article that came in load, but I had to do it for myself and. If I wrote a game preview, though, I would have had a line in there and just kind of talked about, well, I think they're going to play Gilmore one versus one against Hopkins, and you're going to see Will Fuller get bracketed down the field. And it's going to be up to the Texans, you know, wide receivers three through seven have really big games. And then the Texans did a really great job finding Darren Fellows, finding Jordan Akins, finding Duke Johnson, finding Kenny Stills, and they're, you know, they're secondary wide receivers instead of their main top two guys to be able to attack New England's pass defense. And I think Houston did a really great job doing that. And you know, Bill O'Brien, Tim Kelly, uh, should get a lot of credit for their ability to scheme these guys open and create some pretty easy throws for Watson too in the shorter part of the field. Uh, yeah, and and let's let's talk about the one. Uh, to me, there's there's a couple big difference makers in this game. One of them was the um, uh, the difference in the quarterback play between Tom Brady and Deshaun Watson, and and uh, some measure of that was predicated upon. Uh, that New England's uh, receiving core is trash. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looked like Edelman was hurt uh, in the first quarter, and he wasn't the same the rest of the game. He didn't come out, but he wasn't the same the rest of the game. Because ultimately what the biggest difference for me was is that our wide receivers were creating separation, and theirs could not. Our wide receivers are helping out Deshaun Watson. Theirs were picking their noses. So it, it, that, to me, was like – that was – if you want to look at the balance of the game – you know, Tom Brady was awful all game. That pick to Roby in the first quarter was terrible. Talk about a misread and a misfire. And watching yeah, that route the entire way too. He, he, like he, he doesn't he doesn't look anywhere else on that throw. No, and, and Neil does nothing. He does nothing to help out Brady. Roby reads it all the way, and it was easy peasy. It was way too easy. So if you want to look at what was the difference in the game between those two thing two teams, I mean, that to me really stood out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And you know, the Patriots right now, they're relying a lot on Jacoby Myers, who's an undrafted free agent. He's probably like a practice squad guy, but he's like their you know, their best receiver. Uh, the the Mohamed Sanu thing hasn't worked itself out just yet, and I think that will get better. But it will, it, it, yeah. you know, it hasn't. But they, I mean, they still spent a first round pick on Keniel um, Harry. They trade a second round pick for Mohamed Sanu, but they've spent. You know, resources on the wide receiver position. It hasn't really worked out. And they've been kind of desperate. They have no tight ends. Like, Matt Lacoste is their uh, best tight end. He's, like, played for nine different teams. I think he even played on Houston's practice squad once. And so, like, they're they're entirely like they're entirely different offense this year where they don't have good pass catchers. And Edelman's in the 11th year of his career. And he's coming off an ACL injury. And then also their offensive line isn't the same power-blocking uh, like murderous batch that was last year. You know, David Andrews is hurt. Ted Harris isn't very good. And then biggest thing though also is uh, Devlin's hurt, their fullback. And he's one of the best fullbacks in football. He did so much. They could do so many things with him where they run a lot of lead, a lot of power. 
uh, a lot of counter in a, in a wide variety of ways, and they don't have that same luxury anymore without him there. So they have a, a mediocre run game, and last year that power run game was you know monumental, and that went against Kansas City, and that went against Los Angeles. Um, and it was really important for them in those situations where it took a lot of pressure off Brady. But now it's you have a game here where Brady threw the ball 47 times and he's 42 years old, and that's not how they win games. And that's how they, they've won games in the past you know, two or three years or so. And now you're doing that, and you have you don't have any receivers from the throw to, and you have a very mediocre offense. And they're kind of like built like a slightly better version of the 2016 Broncos where the defense isn't as good, because it doesn't have like that same elite level of players, like they don't have a guy like Von Miller in their defense. But the pass, but the pass, but their their offense is better than like, you know, Denver's was that year. Like Brady's better than uh, Manning was, or like Manning was like the worst non Eight touchdown, seventeen interception Manning. Yeah, yeah, and he was the worst non rookie quarterback that year by far. And like they won that Super Bowl because of their defense. Uh, he was awful, and horrendous that year. So like this is the one of the strangest Patriots teams out there. And their offense is sick, and uh, you know Houston. Houston beat them, you know, very well, and that was a big part of it too. Yeah. Uh, oh my gosh, I wanted to segue. Oh, I mean, just the difference between uh, uh, Trent Brown and Marcus Cannon is huge, and it really yeah. that stood out on on Sunday night as well. That Jacob Martin, you know, Marcus Cannon is not a quick guy, and he's not you know Trent Brown sized and so it was really easy for Jacob Martin to just run around Marcus Cannon quite a bit Mm -hmm. and you saw the same thing in that Dallas game too where you saw Robert Quinn and Demarcus Lawrence just run around their offensive tackles and they weren't like doing any power moves at all these are all just straight uh, straight speed rush and edges and if you you beat them to the point of attack enough times you're eventually gonna be able to bang quick enough and make some plays on the ball uh, you know, talking about Jacob Martin, he had a sack and a half this game. He had a sack the week before. I think he has you know two and a half or whatever sacks right now. And he's like a, he has a legitimate move, like he has a legitimate skill, and that's running really fast. And he has a great chop rip. And this was the perfect matchup for him against these slower offensive tackles, so you can kind of just run right around past. Yeah, and they were even chipping at Martin towards the end of the game. I, mm-hmm. I just was shocked. I, I just couldn't believe it. They were actually spent, you know, spending resources to keep Brady upright because they were, because Martin was beating cannon that badly that often. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's Crazy. a great point too. I saw, yeah, I saw some of that chip in like, he goes down easy on chips too, where because he weighs like 235 like pounds. pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I really kind of felt bad for him uh, watching him get chipped like that. But, you know, he, he, had a, he had a really great game. Like, he has legitimate skill. And the other thing that's important about Martin, too, is that his pass rushes are fast. Like, they get to the quarterback quickly and meaningfully. It's not like Whitney Merciless where it's everything's so long, so much hand fighting, so much outside shoulder grabbing, and just, like, praying DJ Reader is pushing the pocket to, to force these pass rushes deep. And so, um, you know, like, I think Jacob Martin is for sure 100% better pass rusher than Whitney Merciless is right now. And I know we're not, I don't really want to talk too much about the offseason, but I would be so, I'm so leery of Houston giving Whitney Merciless like $12 million a year or giving him any sort of contract extension possible because his, like his, his, his sacks are kind of are fluky, you know, where they're just, everything's just so slow and technical and, um, and just elongated and they, and they, he requires, you know, somebody throw an alley-oop up to him. Yeah, and I'll just add to that that he's he turns thirty next year. He's hit the magic number, so I I wouldn't touch him. Yeah, and like the, what it's gonna be like his ninth year in the NFL too. Yeah, he's in, he was drafted in twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, he's been here for, for all these games, all these stupid games. Because he was their first-round pick in 2012, yeah. Uh, so he was a rookie, I guess, during that 12-4 and season. Yeah. But the other thing they try to do uh, to create pass rush is they did a lot of, like, kamikaze blitzes. This is kind of the best way to describe it, where you see Bernard McKinney and Zach, uh, and Zach Cunningham stand there at the linebacker position, kind of count it to Mississippi, and then take off and run as hard as they could into the line of scrimmage and just hope that they're able to, you know, Get, get, you know, kind of like play Red Rover and break through like an outside shoulder and you know, get into the backfield. It didn't work very well. Like New England picked up a lot of their interior uh, rushes. And I noticed that we kind of talked about too because of that playoff game in 2016 where Woody Merciless lined up the center and spinning and uh, Jadavion Clown lined up the center and bull rushing was able to create some quite meaningful pressure. And the type of pressure that you know Tom Brady can't really step around at all either. They, kind of, they tried to do this game. It just didn't work very well. Well, I'm going to kind of disagree with you on that. And here's, here's, I'm going to point to a very specific play. <clears throat> Excuse me. That they, uh, I think it was the second quarter, Justin Reed, who was the second best player on the field on Sunday. Mm-hmm. There, I said it. Uh, Justin Reed comes down from being in a high safety position. He comes down and, um, it makes it look like he's going to bliss that we've gone to man coverage with single high safety help deep and Brady audibles sees Reed audible shifts his, uh, his blocking to cover for Reed and at the snap Reed jumps back and they go into a zone coverage and only rushed four and Brady had no idea what to do with the ball. Yeah. And so what I think the Texans did on Sunday, it was, they were just disguising every little thing that they could. So they, they, you're right. They did do a lot of the kamikaze type blocks, uh, blitzes, but, Hey, who saw Bradley Roby coming from the uh, slot corners you know, position? Uh, Bernardrick McKinney had a couple of good blitzes. They were, I, I think, again, it goes back to what's the difference maker in the game. It was Tom Brady. Tom Brady had scared feet in the first quarter. He did not look like he was he was comfortable. He was throwing balls way too quickly. I mean, even when he had a pocket, he was just he was rushing balls, not setting his feet. There was not one part of Brady's game on Sunday that I would call even average, much less like goat level type play. Mm-hmm. His feet were happy. He was scared. He was getting rid of the ball. He wasn't setting his feet. It, it, like, and then you add on to that the the problematic wide receiver play. There are eight balls that Brady threw. I counted eight balls. I have no idea who the intended receiver was. That's yeah. Tom Brady. I mean, how do you you can't even account? That doesn't even register, Matt. Yeah, no, that's a great point because there's a lot, of, like you mentioned, there's a lot of passes where uh, a good example is in that second quarter too, where I think it was Jacob Myers runs an out route and he just stands at the line at the sideline as Bray <laughs> right. looks and then he rolls out and then he expects <laughs> he expects him to turn up field the sideline and he's just standing there and the ball goes seven yards over his head. Um, yeah, and I think you brought up a great point about their ability to disguise everything where you know Bray doesn't absolutely like know where the pressure is coming from, but it comes from a a variety of different orifices and sources. Um, and that, that was part of it too. So Houston, whenever Brave is throwing the ball, zero to 10 yards past the line of scrimmage. He was 16 of 27 for 132 yards and one touchdown, one interception. Uh, it's, you know, Watson threw 110 yards on 13 attempts on his zero to 10 yard passes. And I think it was also, it wasn't even just 
the fact that nobody was open, but whenever he did complete passes, they were able to break tackles. They were able to create much after the catch. And that was one of the problems that Houston's had all season is that their short passing defense is terrible, but it's also terrible because they their quarterbacks were missing a lot of tackles. And in this game, they you know played a, played a lot of zone. It seemed like on obvious rushing downs, played a lot of man, were passing downs and blitzed, and uh, and it worked well. And I think a lot of that goes down to that same idea where they disguise things really well too. And also, like if your receivers aren't creating separation, it's a lot easier to make a tackle when the guy catches the ball a yard away from you rather than you know, a yard and a half or two yards and catching things at full speed too. Yeah, and, and that was a big difference. I mean, there was only a couple of times there's the Ben Watson third down conversion where he just absolutely uh, shooed Bradley Roby. Uh, you know, we were, but because guys were just so close the entire game. That's what kind of blew my mind is that, you know, we picked up Gary and Conley, who was supposed to be, you know, a, a, a bump and run kind of cornerback. And then the same thing with Hargraves and who, who played a very good game on Sunday. He got scorched a couple of times, but they were around the receivers a lot more. And, you know, we're, we're talking, these are scrappy guys. These are guys who are cut by not very good teams in the middle of the season. But, and I, we've, we've kind of dumped on them a little bit. We definitely dumped on them last year, but Romeo Cornell has done a hell of a job. He did a hell of a job on Sunday, game planning, getting Tom Brady scared and, and using his players to the best of their ability. You look at the Texans defense on paper and they are terrible. Yeah. You look at their stats, and they're not so good, but they balled out on Sunday. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's a great point. I, and I, I remind that conver- what you just said reminds a lot of the conversation we had entering the season, where we talked about you know the off season and what the decisions they made to address the secondary by you know signing Gibson, by signing Roby, by drafting Lonnie Johnson, and we're like, yeah, they just need like better players, and it doesn't matter. You know where they get them from, or what the resources are. And even though they there weren't like a like any like great like number one cornerbacks available this offseason for Houston to sign, they just needed like depth players. And one of the problems that we have with their offseason though is that they didn't add enough of these sorts of players. Like you like sign Stephen Nelson as well, um, take a flyer on Ronald Darby as well. You know, just add you know one or two other guys like that, just because you're pretty much just playing with lottery tickets at that point. And it seems like pretty much what's happened, though, is the Texans did the exact same thing. They just did it during the season by trading a third-round pick for Gary and Conley and by also picking up Vernon Hargreaves. And then it's helped out, too, that Jonathan Joseph has played well the last two weeks. Uh, Tayshawn Gibson's good. That Jay Leal die signing has worked out better than you know I could imagine it have. And, uh, and like, the secondaries had a really great game this, this time around. Um, we had a question from... At Smooth Grandma with two A's at the end. So it's like uh, Smooth Grandma. And he asked that Pat's offense made the Texans secondary looked amazing. How much did we improve with Roby, with Roby coming back? And how much of that was Brady just being old? Um, I, I think that Roby coming back certainly helped. I mean, he's he's the best cornerback on the team. I don't even think there's an argument for that. Lonnie Johnson's pretty trash. Um, he, he, if you want to talk about guys who had bad games, Lonnie Johnson had a bad game. Uh, so Roby was, is that big of an improvement? He's also one of the fastest guys on the field whenever he's out there, which helps him. Well, so is Johnson. That doesn't help him. Um, so it definitely helps, but I, the one guy I'm going to point to again is Justin Reed is, is I think he, his play on Sunday was truly, truly special. Uh, didn't miss a single tackle. Uh, he was getting guys and making great open field tackles on, on guys. He is an effective center fielder 
I mean, the guy brings the entire skill set. And the one thing that really strikes me, and, and I hate to make the comparison, uh, because of kind of what happened to us, but who we starting to remind me of is, is Ed Reed in his prime. He is a center fielder who can make tackles. And, and the guy is, he is good. I, I, I'm really excited about his development. I think really he does. He's able to make the guys around him better as well, just because of what he does. So you, you got Roby back, which means that you sent Lonnie Johnson to the bench. Lonnie Johnson didn't play as many snaps. Hargraves has been getting Johnson snaps. Um, that is just kind of improved. But I think ultimately, too, the Patriots wide receivers are, or receiving core in general, the tight ends. I mean, look, when you go from Gronkowski to, to the cost, who, by the way, scorched us with Denver a year or two ago. Uh, that's a pretty big downgrade. That's a pretty tremendously horrible downgrade. Mm-hmm. And Edelman's the only guy with any experience uh, at the wide receiver position, and Sanu's still getting it. I think that you just kind of had a perfect storm of factors that really hurt the Patriots, and they haven't been good offensively all year anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I know like one of the things, too, going back and watching all those little Texans games was how important the tie-in position was for their offense whenever they played Houston specifically, where it's you know Aaron Hernandez versus Brady James, or you have uh, Rob Gronkowski against uh, against like Quinn and Demps. You know what I mean? Right, it's like these right. are the matchups that New England used to have available, and now they don't. Now it's you know Ben Graham against or Benjamin Watson against. I guess Ben Graham was probably tied in for the Patriots in like 2004 or something. It was like a 73 overall Madden, but yeah, like 36 year old Ben Watson, he retired at one point during the season, came back, uh, being matched up against Tayshawn Gibson, Justin Reed, and so those same matchups that they're able to just you know kill Houston with in previous seasons aren't there at all anymore for this offense. And uh, you Brady, like they desperately miss that tight end position, and their entire passing offense is just like it's just really funky. It's not, it's not, it's not good. It's mediocre. And it's also been propped up by you know playing bad defenses to start the year, and also having Antonio Brown for you know that one game or whatever it was. Yeah, no wonder the the team wants him back, Brown back so badly. I mean, look, you look at the rest of the receiving core, like yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and they may do it. I don't, you know, how badly do you want you want to win championship? You know, who knows? Um, we had a good question here from at Texans Kool Aid, and he asked first time, long time. I guess I'm saying he listens to the show a lot. This is the first time he asked a question. Uh, defensive scheme and personal adjustments you did and didn't like this game. And what, what what might we see going forward as a pattern or as a one-off thing? I'm thinking the brackets that you specifically, but not so much cover one, et cetera. So what did you like in, in this game as far as, you know, is there anything in addition that you liked about the adjustments Cornell made? And was there anything that you didn't like? And do you think this has any sort of uh, meaningfulness going forward? No, I think it has a lot because I, what I think it showed is that you can take, and let's just be really, really honest with, with, how Bill O'Brien and and the the level Hydra whatever you want to call it has handled this this team since Brian Gain was fired. All the offense, all, all the focus has been on the offense. Let's trade all the picks to get offensive guys, all the good picks, and then let's get Gary and Conley for a third, and let's get Vernon Hargraves off the scrap heap, and and those sorts of things, right? So, you know, Bill O'Brien knows where you know how his bread is buttered. So mm-hmm. to speak, you know, and we traded Clowney, you know, trading Clowney for for scraps was a good thing. Hey, but we had a Barkevius Mingo sighting. He got a personal foul and a fumble <laughs> recovery on <laughs> on that kick. Um, so 
so that's bi- that's Pinal big play, going- big play, big, big Markavis right. Mingo to you. Also, I, I've never heard him speak before, and his voice cracked me up. Markavis Mingo? Are his, you serious? Yeah, his voice is it's worse than mine, <laughs> and I have a ter- oh truly God. terrible voice. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah I'm Markavis Mingo. What uh, LSU? <laughs> LSU Markavis Mingo. The dude at the dentist office stays like 5'2", 110 pounds, and his voice is like super bass. It was crazy. Anyway. Um, um, I'm, pr- I'm proud of the going? dentist. I'm proud of him. Um, oh, my God. It was hilarious. But it, but anyway, so um, – oh, but so Cornell is just doing what he can. And so what he did on Sunday was is he was disguising. He was, he was looking like he was going to go into man coverage. They were dropping in the zone. Uh, there is one play that I noticed that they, you know, you, you send a guy in motion, right, to to see whether or not there's going to be man or zone coverage. They sent the guy in motion. Guy followed him, looked like man coverage. They dropped in the zone. He was doing every little thing to disguise what the coverage is going to be. And so when you've got kind of the scrap heap that the Texans have defensively right now, and, and, and it is. I mean, that's just we've got elite linebackers and Zach Cunningham and Bernard McKinney. And we've got Justin Reed and the rest of it's pretty replaceable. They're pretty, pretty much Jags, just a guy's kind of thing. But I think that's what Cornell's going to go with. He's going to keep disguising things. He's going to keep helping out his guys as much as he can and putting uh, Cunningham and McKinney in position to make plays. Oh, and of course, DJ reader who is, who had a, a beast of a game on Sunday. Yeah. Reader had a really good game. Uh, I think personally, the biggest the biggest thing that I kind of learned about from this game defensively kind of goes back last week against New, uh, Indianapolis as well too. Like against Indy, they played a lot of zone coverage, and Jacoby Brissett wasn't ready for it, and he was perplexed and confused and befuddled, and also like running the ball first t- first down twenty one times is very stupid. It was a big reason why their offense was bad. But I think what was important about that game was that Houston, despite all the injuries in the secondary, all the new faces in different places that they were able to come in and play zone coverage to not lose track of wide receivers, to keep guys in front of them. And they also played a lot more like, they're playing a lot of cover too as well. So they're not doing like cover four where it's a little bit more complicated uh, to know like when to pass guys off deep. And like the, the problems that you make in cover four are a lot bigger than the problems that you make in cover two because you're giving up a, you know an open seven-yard pass that becomes 13 yards instead of giving up like a 47-yard touchdown on Brian Cooks. And so... And then that's I think that's the biggest thing is that from that game to this game, they're able to mix up a lot of zone of man. They're able to do a variety of different things. And Cornell has just been, you know, unbelievable. He's been all, uh, you know really spectacular this year as he's been his entire time in Houston, uh, taking the the right replacement parts, the spare pieces available, and kind of putting them together to make something new. And uh, the best way I can describe Remy Cornell, it's like playing at the video game Fallout, where like you have like a high science <laughs> skill. And you just take like empty soda cans and some gum and you build a rocket launcher out of it. And Cornell's done, uh, and like the pass defense numbers aren't great. Like they're still a bad pass defense. But to even have a game where you give up 23 points to New England's mediocre offense is an enormous win for them, too. Yeah, it's still, it's, for me, it's still shocking that they played that well. And they, they did play well. I mean, again, you know, New England is pretty bad offensively, but, you know, they were they gave Tom Brady the heebie-jeebies early and often, and if you're doing that, you're doing something right. I don't think I've ever. I, I tried to go back. I rewatched the game late this afternoon. I tried to go back in, in the uh, the depths of my mind. I just don't remember Tom Brady looking that scared for an entire game, especially against the Texans. He just seems to always be settled. The only game that came close was that playoff game 
that mm-hmm. we almost pulled off in in Foxport, but he did not look comfortable. Some of the throws he made, Matt, were so off target, shockingly off target. Mm-hmm. And he had the happy feet, was forcing balls. It, he looked terrible. Yeah, and I think a lot of that too. He's just slow, so like he has to really overcompensate for his his uh, the the pace. Uh, the pace to pace that he he moves around from the pocket, or he has those big cement cement shoes clonking around, or moon shoes, I guess would be a better description of it. And uh, that one, I think like the worst story he made was one that threw Sunil on fourth and one. You know, that's probably pass oh, interference, yeah. but he's so the ball's so far behind him that if he leads Sanu and that there's that same level of contact, uh, that becomes a completely different play where that becomes a penalty in that case. And that fourth and one call too, instead of using the quarterback sneak that works every time. They ran that play action pass, and the reason why I think they did that was because they just couldn't create any downfield shots. And they're like, okay, we got nine guys in the box. This is our chance that we can follow him, take a shot deep, make something happen. And uh, and they tried it there, and it didn't work. And the other one was that corner route to Edelman, where Edelman, where Edelman found the hole in cover two, that you know the honey pot, like they call it, that space behind the the sideline short hook defender and the deep safety, and he throws the ball, you know, like two yards out bounds over his head. And like, yeah, like his, his ball placement was all over the place. And this was the game where it's like, oh, New England has the aging quarterback who has no legs, who doesn't have as much drive on the ball that, uh, that can't carry this team to win in a game where they need them to. Yep. And I'm going to say it again. I said it on a comment, uh, in a post that we did recently that quarterbacks are like breeding dogs. Once they lose their legs, they're worthless. And I think we're at that point with Tom Brady. He just doesn't have the hump ability anymore. Yeah, and well, and with with him too, it's like, you know, he's mediocre. He's been mediocre this season, and he's forty two years old, and that's a big thing. And like last year was the signs of the beginning of the end for him, but like that's still him being a mediocre quarterback. It's not him being, you know, a top ten quarterback anymore. He's fine, but the the Patriots have to be. They're just they have to rely. They're in games where they have to rely on him. They're probably going to lose, and that was exactly what happened this game, especially whenever they fell behind seven three and they fell behind. 14-3, and that you know red zone touchdown play, uh, it can't be overstated like how important that play was for this game. Yeah, and, and uh, you touched upon one other thing I really wanted to hit tonight, which was that the success in throwing the ball down the field and where Watson was, my heart flutters, deep love for Watson, but his ability to push the ball downfield and his willingness to push the ball downfield Tom Brady was trying to. He just, you know, he was missing wide receivers by 20 yards. And there are a couple of those border, pretty borderline grounding mm-hmm. throws. I mean, yeah. I, I realize, like, you know, there's a disconnect and there's a, there, in the rule, you know, there's a, uh, an allowance for the disconnect. But there are a couple of that were just flat, straight out grounds that should have been called. And they, they call Brady it on threw. him, too, as well. And he gets so mad every time they call it. But it's like, you're in the pocket and you just throw the ball 30 yards to start on the field. And Kirk Cousins does that a lot of times too. Yeah, yeah. He, Kirk Cousins loves to do that. So, uh, but, you know, again, what was the difference maker on Sunday? It was Deshaun Watson being, being able to hook up, you know, the fuller touchdown that should have been a touchdown. Do you think that's a catch? He was close. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he didn't get that, like, I don't know. It was as close as it can be. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. It, and then, you know, the throw to Stills right after that. Oh my, that, that's one of the greatest throws I've ever seen. That was beautiful. So that's Deshaun Watson. You gotta let you gotta let his peacock fly. I say it all the time. Look, look, you gotta let Deshaun Watson be himself. And that's not handing the ball to Carlos Hyde. You eventually hand the ball to Carlos Hyde. When right? you have seven guys no in the problem. box. Yeah. 
and and but you have to let Watson do what he does best, and that is push the ball down the field, and with that accuracy that he has, that uncanniness that he has to escape escape sacks. The only, for my money, there are three guys in the NFL today who are MVP worthy, and that's Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, and Watson, and and that's it because they take, they are able to do so much with their teams, and I think ultimately, if our if you were to replace Russell Wilson. With that, they've got a good defense. They've got some pieces. They'd probably be okay-ish. The Ravens lost, lost Lamar Jackson. Well, I think they would be okay-ish as long as you got Greg Roman doing what he does. And yeah, if, if, like, if, you, put, lost, if you put like Tyrod Taylor in Baltimore, you know, maybe they're like a 10-win team. You know what I mean? 10-win ten, ten, team, yeah. But if, if the Texans lose... Deshaun Watson, we're literally an 0 16 level team. <laughs> so, yeah, they probably win like it depends on well with AJ if AJ McCarron's the quarterback, I think they probably over the course of sixteen games, I think they win five, maybe. No, no way. Yeah, <laughs> I think they win maybe five, maybe four like four or five or so. Because um, 'cause I'm well like because he's better than Tom Savage and Tom Savage won two, I think. Maybe it was just one. Maybe Blaine Gabber is the only guy he beat. I yeah, think I think so. so. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's like there's enough like talent all on the team to make up for make up for. But I think that's a, that's also another important point too. It's like there's a lot of criticism about Watson sometimes whenever he tries to make too much happen or doesn't take the check down or that sort of thing. But like whenever you see that, there's nobody open. This team does also a really poor job of creating like check down throws for them when they did those like deep play action passes. And it seems like they're finally starting to understand that with. You know how they use Duke Johnson in this game is a good example of that too. But also, like Houston's eight and four because of Watson making plays like that. Like I'll take the occasional, you know, first first down sack that becomes second and seventeen. I'll take the occasional, like, you know, silly interception where he throws across his body to the other sideline if it leads to eye gouging touchdowns and you know, plays like he made against John Simon where he runs out that sack. Um with like that touchdown he had against Jacksonville as well too. Like that's why this team is AM four. They're AM four because of Watson and he's carried this entire team and you know, he's spectacular and you know, unbelievable. And every like every game he plays is is a gift. And it's, you know, a lot of fun to watch him and it's also like really fun too to play watch Houston play New England and have the better quarterback in that game after seeing the exact opposite for the previous eight matchups. Yeah, and one other thing about this game that, that jumped out to me, um it's not really about the game. The two quarterbacks to beat the Patriots this year, Big Matt, are Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson. Yep. And and you know who else is going to be the Patriots this year? Josh Allen. That's another mobile quarterback. <laughs> oh my God! You're wearing Josh Allen underoos, aren't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I my big my biggest fear in life isn't dying or speaking in front of crowds or talking to a pretty girl. It's the Texans playing uh, Josh Allen in the playoffs because I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm at, I was telling my friend I have to get one of those shirts that's like like T, like JJ Watt's mom wears, where it's half Pittsburgh Steelers, half uh, Houston Texans, and so I'm not do the same thing, but just like Deshaun Watson and uh, like Laramie Tensel or something, you know. Wow, I don't know what I'm gonna do if it happens. Wow. Um. So the the talking about that deep pass too in the Texans deep pass game. Watson was only one for two for 35 yards and one touchdown deep passes. Uh, that pass they threw to Stills traveled 51.6 yards to the air, and like and just it's right over the safety. It's unbelievable, and it came right after the the Wolf Fuller drop too. 
And like the first half was weird too from the telecast because they kept showing Houston with these, you know, with their tablets on the sideline. And you, you're watching the conversation Watson's having with Kenny Stills where he's like, like pointing and then he just like points deep. Like when you see this and the safety does this, you go and I got you. And they're like, you know, they're, they're looking at the screenshots and everything. And you're like, you're just sitting there waiting for it to happen for whenever they're actually going to take that deep passing chance. Because again, it was 14-3. Everything was short. Everything was quick. And they hit Fuller. He's not able to hold on to it. And then that stops, that uh, that keeps that 14-3. And it also was like a, a better version of that same throw Oswald, or, or I should say name redacted made in that playoff game where he makes one good throw that game. It's too full in the back of the end zone, but he drops that one. And that would have made a one-score game. And instead, Houston never really had another chance at that one again. This time, Fuller drops that one. And then Watson rolls out of the pocket, does the exact same thing again. It hits uh, Kenny Stills to make the game 21-3. And at that point, I felt comfortable to say, like, you know, Houston's going to win this game. This thing that has never happened has finally happened. And uh, being alive is a beautiful and tremendous thing. And one thing about that pass of Stills, and it's it's Watson, just generally speaking, he throws a perfect ball. Yeah. Like, it has got a tight spin. That ball is small when it comes out of his hands. It's small when it gets to the wide receiver. It's got that tight spin to it. It is one of the most gorgeous balls I have seen. Like, if <laughs> you're, you're just going to be kind of forced to catch it because it's that good of a ball. And so when I say that, so let's just be clear what I mean. When the ball has wobble to it, it's got a larger mm-hmm. kind of surface area to it, and it makes a, a lot harder to catch when it has more wobble. And it can, right? pl- it's like it a can punt. It can plink off your hands as well, too. Yeah, and it's just and like so your like hands a, are pinball bu- uh, bumpers at that point. Yep, yep. And so when a when a ball, when especially when it has that spin, it kind of drills into your hands. And if you, if you catch the ball away from your body like you're supposed to then it, it, it just kind of drills into your hands and sits there in there. And that's what really, to me, I, I, I remember, um, uh, this is going to be a stupid little story, but it was a guy that I played in, in college with, and I had never played with a real kind of quarterback before. And he was like, I mean, we're, we're talking intramural at this point, but he had been, he was like, like runner up all Wisconsin. He was just this total badass. I'd never caught a real ball from real quarterback before. And the first ball he threw to me, I didn't even have to catch it. It was just there. Mm-hmm. And Watson throws that kind of ball, but better. Yeah. And so it's just like, it, it, there's a tremendous difference between a quarterback who throws a dead duck. You like when watching Brady yesterday, he was throwing a lot of ducks. Uh, and, and a guy like Watson who's drilling it into you. There's a tremendous difference in how easy it is to catch that ball. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Um, so on your bookshelf back there, which one of those is your journal that's uh, most gorgeous balls I've seen? Is it that yellow book? One? <laughs> is it that one back there? No. Uh, that's right. That's right. We like, talk, we, talk we, like to, we like to have fun here. Um, <laughs> we, have fun at, we have fun at this job. We have fun at this company. We're a cool company. Who does We're fun cool. things? We have a pool table, ping pong table, beer keg. Uh-huh. It's great. Yeah, that's what we do here. Um, so I really don't have anything else specifically about the game that I want to go over. Uh, we had some more listener questions we'll get to too as well. But the last thing I want to say about this game is that like I don't really care about anything anymore this season. Like the Texans beat the Patriots. I know like it's such a loser mentality to be like. You, you, they won a regular season football game and you're completely satiated. It's like, yeah, I am. After watching them lose to this stupid team so many times and for an entire decade, 
And the only time that they beat them, too, it didn't matter because the Jets played the Bengals on Sunday Night Football, and the Bengals rested their starters, and they had to play the Jets in the playoffs instead of the Texans. And then the Jets went and beat the Bengals, I think, 34-3 the following week in the playoffs instead of playing Houston. And the Bengals are, what, 0-3 against the Texans in the postseason, and Marvin Lewis never won a playoff game. So they, they got what they deserve uh, out in Cincinnati. But, like, I don't, I don't know how much this game has meaning, like, going forward again if Houston wants to play Kansas City again. Other than, you know, if Houston tries to – if Houston gets the lead, they can do that linebacker thing. But I think that can be more of a shootout because Mahomes is healthy again. And their receivers are healthier again too, uh, and then also like I don't know how they could beat Baltimore as well. So like I don't really look at Houston as any more of like being anything more than divisional round, you know, kind of like stuck at that level uh, even after this game too. But like I don't really care though. Like they they finally did something, something new finally happened. Like something broke the mundanity of and the sameness of everything every season. And uh, I'm just so happy that this thing finally happened. You know? Yeah, and. You know, we we follow the team. We love the team. Clearly, you know, you don't write 5.8 million uh, word blog posts with approximately half that in videos of the Texans you it, know, it on was, a Saturday. Uh, it was 40, I think it was 4,500 words. Whatever. Not, not 5.4 million. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. We're still in the same territory. Yeah. But th- let's just be honest. Right now, or as of before this game, the Texans by DVOA were 18th on Football Outsiders and 17th by overall on uh, PFF. Mm-hmm. Totally middle of the road. And, and there's good reason for that. But as long as Deshaun Watson is the quarterback, the team is, has a shot every week. It just depends. Is Bill O'Brien going to allow Deshaun Watson to be Deshaun Watson, or is it going to be against like the against the Panthers? Is it going to be like it was? Well, the Ravens were just kind of a, a a messed up game. You let Deshaun Watson do things, and he's a beast. So he's always going to keep us in games because he is that freaking good. Yeah, I mean he's just disgusting. And I just watched Russell Wilson throw a bomb to T.J. Moore. Speaking of disgusting quarterbacks. He, so as long as Wilson's um, Wilson's unbelievable, he's made the five best throws I've seen this season. Uh, well, neat. that one just added to the list. That was gorgeous, and <laughs> and they're doing the river dance. Oh my gosh! Okay, anyway, that's guys. No, that's terrible. That was that was the worst like celebration I've seen since that movie that came out in the eighties. Anyway, uh. As long as Deshaun Watson's on the field, we have a chance to win every game. Mm-hmm. Can the defense hold up? Who knows? Can the offensive line hold up? Who knows? We're going to have games that we're not very good. That's yeah. all there is to it. And so I think just kind of, you know, lay back and enjoy it while it's good. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of the, also the other thing I've learned this season, too. And I don't think I'll ever be like fully com- accustomed to watching a Texans team with a really good quarterback like Watson is where you're like, oh, so every game they could probably win because they have Watson after, you know, our, my brain, you know, really mold, getting molded in this decade and having just be completely warped by like, okay, well, whenever uh, Brian Hoyer's your quarterback, if this happens and this happens and this happens, you can win. But if this one thing happens, you can't win. And so with Watson, like all those other previous rules and things I know about like professional football are completely thrown by the wayside and scorched because of, of the things that he's able to do. But yeah, I, I think it's a great point. I think for sure they're a- available to win any game that he's in, 
But I think it comes down a lot to offensive play calling and scheme, their their ability to get a lead to be able to play the game that they want to play. And then whenever they don't have a lead, you're being aggressive enough to throw the ball downfield and make the most of his ability. And also to just like do the best things they can against the opponent that they're playing. Because too often they get kind of like stuck on one track, uh, like all that zone option stuff that doesn't work against teams with good linebackers. And I'm glad that that whole part of the offense has kind of gone away too. Um, so the first question we have here is from at smooth grandma again, and it's, he said, it looks like big play Mingo's getting some of Dylan Cole snaps. God. Have you already established a drinking game for these appearances? And this is a good actual idea. Like I, I can't, I don't, like I only, I can't drink at all. Like during the game because I have to write, you know, a bunch of words afterwards and we try to do the podcast on Sundays, but when it's Sunday night and it's impossible to actually create content uh, afterwards you're able to so if you're if it's a if you're drinking watching the Texans play football or even if it's a kombucha or whatever it is you have every time you spot Barcavius Mingo I think is for sure either worth a, a shot or you know like a or you have to take you know a five second drink or something along those lines it's a it's a very spectacular occasion and it's pretty much become like where's Waldo for me where I sit there and I try to find Barcavius Mingo as often as I can and then yell big play Mingo at the TV and everybody around me thinks I'm mentally ill. Well, we clearly are. We're watching the Texans. I mean, for Christ's <laughs> sake. Yeah. I just don't look, we got Jacob Martin out of that deal. He He's a five to seven sack guy in a year. He, he, he was a great pick by the Seahawks. Let's just enjoy Helm because big play is going to be gone at the end of the season. So whatever. Yeah, big, big play, Arcavius Mingo. Um, the, another question from him is, outside Martin and one blitz by Roby, there was no pass rush. Was there a lot of max protector? Was it just bad? I think Reader had a, a good game like as a pass rusher. Yeah, I know he had four quarterback hits, which was a lot for uh, for him because he has he's kind of like disappeared as a pass rusher as he's been, become more and more the entire like central force their defensive line to stop the run too. But I, I don't think the pass rush was particularly good. But like you mentioned, at least he got to the point where Brady was bouncing the pocket. His feet were set. He had concerns about you know marking him from that side in that direction. So I think I think it was like as good of a pass pass rush you're gonna get from Houston. But I think it's any team with a competent offensive line. Like even you know two sacks is monumental. Four quarterback hits uh, hits is spectacular. And just like you want you want Tom Brady to be wearing like a wool sweater. You want him to be a little scratchy and a little itchy. And uh, I think they did exactly that this game. You, you know, you say it wasn't a good pass rush. What I'll say is that they had Brady incredibly nervous. So they, there was 11 hurries in the game. There were six hits. Uh, there was four sacks overall. You know, we're I, I guess we're spoiled as Texans fans because we're used to having J.J. Watt and Davion Clowney on the team and, 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 you know, those guys creating a lot of pressure. But the fact is, is that we were creating pressure. I think we did a pretty good job, all things considered. Mm-hmm. You know, Mer- Merciless was worthless, but uh, McKinney did some damage. Uh, uh, well, Merciless was, I'm not even, you know, Martin had a great game. Omenhu had a great game. We had, or not a great game, but he had a game. So we're going to do what we can do. But the fact that Tom Brady had happy feet in the first quarter made me, like, kind of thinking that we were doing things that they weren't expecting us to do. And so, it's, it, again, expectations communication life's about those two things and and they had the expectation we wouldn't be able to get to tom brady and we did 
And I don't know if other teams are going to fall into that trap, but I thought we did a pretty nice job, all things considered. Yeah, and I think Bray looks a lot like Jacoby looked last week too, where Brissett was uncomfortable that entire game. He was really bouncy. He was really confused. They didn't know he didn't know what was going on. Uh, he couldn't find anybody open at all either. And they have like three guys going out for routes and no good wide receivers, but um, that worked out as well too. So BFD, the double reverse option touchdown gave me unfathomable amounts of joy. We know it's unlikely we'll see this play again. Which non-quarterback is most likely to throw for a touchdown for Houston? So let's be clear on one thing. So I think it's kind of come out now. This was this was a Deshaun Watson and Roderick Johnson. I don't know which Johnson it was. I kept referring to a Johnson and uh, DeAndre Hopkins who came up with this play. That uh, this was like a a play that was written on a notepad that was like literally handed to 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 uh, Bill O'Brien and said, "Let's run this," and he said, "Okay." So that was not a Bill O'Brien design play. I, I don't want ever want to see anybody but Deshaun Watson throw another pass for the Houston Texans because they always wind up in heartbreak. Yeah. So let's see. Let's let DeAndre Hopkins have his moment. Moment had. It was a great, great, fun little play. Let's never do it again. Yeah, I remember the interception through against Carolina where I don't think Houston got back in the red zone after that throw on like first and 10 uh, as well. I do wish Cecil Shorts was here because Cecil Shorts was a really good uh, wide receiver passer. Uh, probably one of the best things about him in his career. So yeah, like there's enough wide receiver injuries and Cecil Shorts comes out of retirement after being retired for like four years. I'd be fine with him throwing a pass, but nobody else I really want to see it at all. Nope. Um, nope, I'm done. <laughs> So how much did you cringe and read the comments about the Clowney trade being worth it since Martin has two and a half sacks now? Uh, I don't, like, look, if you're, all the Clowney comparison stuff, the Clowney trade was bad, and they botched the entire situation, they screwed all up, we've said enough things about it, but, like, Martin having a half a sack more than Clowney is not an indictment of the, of, like, the ability of, like, a Martin compared to Clowney. Like, Clowney's been, like, it's, in, it's like, impossible to, like really evaluate his game because of how like close he is and how much disruption he creates and how much havoc he has. And like his entire career, he gets so close to making big plays. He doesn't, he isn't quite able to get there, but he had also been the central force of the Seahawks defensive line for like what, 11 weeks or so until Jerome Reed got back to health. And then you watch that San Francisco game and he single-handedly carried that defense against the 49ers that week as well too. So there's not close, like the comparison between the two. Uh, Clowney's incredible and I don't, I don't cringe. I don't really get upset at all because it's, it's, I understand why your know, fans do it because they're fans and they want everything to be good that involves their team, but it was a bad decision. They botched that situation and, uh, I would, I don't, I didn't cringe at all cause I don't care about any of the Clowney, Gary and Conley, Barcavis, Mingo, Jake and Mar comparisons and throw Whitney Merciless in there too, for that matter. Yeah, all I'll say is if you think that that was a great trade for the Texans, then you should, your opinion should never be heard again. Um, those big words. Uh, the other que- so another question from Smooth Grandma as well, too. There is a rumor that J.J. Watt could come back. They're holding the last IR return spot for him after retiring his pectoral, which is possible that maybe he comes back week 17. Maybe the playoffs, Ian Rapport, uh, had a had a report on that, which I guess is like a good name and, and job. A match right there. So he asks, would you and BFD be willing to w- wager one of you doing something ridiculous if JJ Watt returns this season? So what are you gonna, what ridiculous thing are you going to do if we see Watt come back? <laughs> I'm almost 50 years old. I've already done a 
of the ridiculous things with <laughs> pro athletes. I, you know, I'm out of ideas at this point. Look, if, if, if they think he's healthy enough to come back and they clearly are kind of leaning that because, I mean, the Texans are not an organization that leaks things like that. So I even found that to be kind of interesting. So, but if they think he's healthy enough to come back, do it. I mean, we're not at the point that we're worried about, are we going to hurt Watt's long-term career? The answer is no. So bring him back. If, if, if he thinks he's healthy enough, if he thinks he can play, bring him back. Let's do it. And that's the only thing I care about because he's, he's such a big, important piece of the defense that you have to do it. If you want to make any sort of serious run, and again, I'm going to say I think we're a glass cannon. I think we're going to be one and done in the playoffs. Then bring him back mm-hmm. because he at least gives us a chance to not be one and done. And like, also, you can bring him back just on third downs too. Even you know, like you're not playing the run at all. You're only playing third and like seven plus, and that's the only time since you come in the game. Uh, I don't. I mean, I couldn't see him coming back this season because Pectoral always keeps guys out for a year. But I don't know. Like you never know. Uh, but I, I saw the report, and I guess it makes sense. And maybe they're holding out for some hope. And, you know, it's worth it to hold that spot and compare, like, you know, hoping that you can get uh, Tyus Howard back or something, which he, he isn't going to be back for the rest of the year. We had a question from uh, ex, at, at Exile. I've been Texas. waiting for this one. Yes. Been waiting. <laughs> Always has great questions. Um, at Exile in Texas, though, is Bill O'Brien bipolar? How do you explain these wild performance swings this year? I, I love this question on so many levels because it, it's it's kind of encompasses Bill O'Brien um, in the way that he he handles this team is that I think he he really thinks we're stuck in 1978. I mean, you know, we're about the same age. Bill O'Brien and I are. I was eight years old in 1978. Um, I watched a lot of teams that whole establish the run to to throw the pass kind of thing, and I, I think he's still stuck in that mindset. So the reason we see such a bipolar performance is that Bill O'Brien doesn't under, I still don't think he understands Deshaun Watson. I still don't think he understands the power that he has. And, and look, look, I had the friend in high school who had the 1974 VW bug with a rusted floor and that we had to push to jumpstart. And, and that's how Bill O'Brien kind of looks at NFL offenses is you got to push to jumpstart it. And, and, and you really don't have to when you've got a Ferrari and Deshaun Watson. Yeah, Brian Hoyer is not the quarterback anymore. You know. Yeah, and, and, and so you got you got you got to let him do it. So it's not that necessarily that he's bipolar. It's just that he has a hard time understanding the power that he actually has at hand, and and that's why we see such different things because he gets stuck in a rut. Look. Eight first downs to start this game, and he he ran for it up the middle all eight times, some of them them with Carlos Hyde. That, to me, shows he has no idea what he (laughs) had. But then he eventually adjusted this weekend, so good for him. Yeah. But the fact that he did it in his week, whatever, 13, shows me he still doesn't get what he's got with this team. So uh, I, I love this question because it does seem like his bipolar. When I watch the games with my son, he's like, uh, I guess the best one was watching the game with my dad and my sister because we're both we're all huge football fans. My dad taught me a lot about football, and my dad he, he's all doped up, and, and we're in ICU. He literally almost died the morning before, and he's watching the game, and it was against the Chiefs, and he's going, "This isn't the same team," mm-hmm. and and that to me said everything I needed to because my dad, man, my dad knows football. 
And if he's saying that sort of thing, that means he's noticed on something. And considering he was doped up, he's really seeing something. So it, it's just a, it, it's just when you allow Deshaun Watson to, to do what he does instead of trying to run Carlos Hyde up the middle 17 times a game. Yeah. And I love the question because it, it, it seems like it. It seems that's what my friends say. That's what my sister say, says. That's what my dad says. It's like watching a different coach almost every week. Yeah, my dog tells me the same thing as well, too. But I, I think like it kind of goes back to that, like even that Raiders game where it takes some 32 minutes to realize, hey, to hear Whitehead can't cover anybody and they're sitting there at nickel. Yeah, get Duke Johnson against him. Get DeAndre Hopkins in the slot against him. I think it takes Houston way too long to uh, find matchups that are available to him. And it works when the game's close. It doesn't work whenever they fall down. You know, 14-3 quickly, um, as can happen and as has happened before to him as well. So another question you have here is from at Hippo Krampus. He asks, will the Texans figure out how to pay DJ Reader? Wow. So we're going to have to pay some people. Uh, Laramie Tunsil's, I think, is going to get somewhere between 70 and 80 guaranteed million. Deshaun Watts is going to get, God, I don't even know, 120 guaranteed. So I don't even know how we're going to pay other people. I think I do think you need to do your best to pay DJ Reader because he is an outstanding defensive lineman. You've got nobody else who can do what he does. And he does a lot of things that no tackles can't do. I would absolutely pay him, and I hope we find the money for him. Yeah, I'd rather pay him than Whitney Merciless. And also, like he's about to enter the prime of his career. I think he's, what, 25, 26 and like this is prime DJ Reader, and you may get a little bit less on the back end. And as long as he keeps watching his carbohydrates and not eat, you know, like sugary cereal, and he stays limber enough and can rush the passer, and if you can add another interior pass rusher next to him and take some pressure off him in the run game, uh, those like sacks he had against Los Angeles could should happen more often. But I just think he's he's tired from how much he has to defend the run. But I ho- hopefully they do. But that being said, like a year ago, if we had, we had conversations about the Clowney extension. But there's no way they don't do it. And then that entire thing dragged on for you know seven months too. So you never know. Uh, I would assume that they're going to pay him. And I hope they do. I think he's more valuable than like paying uh, Whitney Merciless would be too. So the last question we have here and the last thing we have for tonight's show is from at James K. Mills, I, I, I. So not, not quite Wolf, Wolf Fuller status. He needs to, he needs to hop on it, hop, hop on it some. So are the Texans legit, or was this a once or twice every season Patriots crap the bed game? Uh, the Texans are legit as long as Deshaun Watson's allowed to be a peacock. I've said it a couple times tonight, and there you go. As long as he's allowed to run the show, as long as Bill O'Brien is not obsessed with trying to establish the run, we are in every game. At some point, somebody's going to figure out the, the defense like the Ravens did, and they're going to exploit the heck out of us. I don't think we're a top. I don't think we're a top six team in the NFL, but Deshaun Watson puts us puts us in every game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a great way to put it too. Um, like I said earlier, like I don't know. I don't think this game has like a lot of like substantial things from it to take as we go going forward. And the biggest thing is that the things that never happened actually happened this time, which I'll just keep saying over and over again. It feels so good to say. Uh, but like, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it, I think it was a perfect storm. I think the fumble turning into the touchdown was you know super incredibly valuable. I think it changed that entire game for Houston. And 
know, it's just kind of like a weird Texans game. It was kind of like, I don't think it was even like that much of a bad crapping game from New England because it, it kind of played out kind of strange too. But they their offense is sick. Their defense is really great, and they gave up seven of those points because of a short field after a turnover too. Um, but I don't know. Like until I see the divisional round, I guess there's really really that. But the same point is always is that I don't really care if the Texans are for real or not, or if they're gonna be better in the playoffs this year. Uh, for now, after this game, I'm just glad that this thing finally happened. You know. Yeah. It, if you watch the Ravens 49ers game on Sunday. Those are two legit teams. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's your Super Bowl matchup right there. Yeah. Well, so that's our show for tonight. Thank you for all the great questions, everybody. Um, thank you for all the all the love and support. You know, whenever I wake up in the morning, I can feel it, feel the aura, the energy from the collective unconsciousness, you know, wake me, uh, wake me up in the, in the warming embrace of all the comments and questions and, and, with uh, the nicest balls. And, and with the nice ball, the gorgeous balls and the, and the five-star iTunes review. So thank you, everybody, for, for that. Uh, we'll be back on later this week. We'll do the Week 14 preview. We'll be back on probably next Sunday night after the Battle Red game against the Denver Broncos. And then we'll get to talk a lot about Ryan Tannehill for the next three weeks and Jameis Winston, which is going to be uh, an absolute party. So in the meantime, thank you for listening. My name is Matt Weston, and thank you for being on tonight, BFT. BFT.